is like, go read a page of a book. As you're reading that book, you're focusing on that page. Your mind will inevitably wander multiple times while you're reading that book, but we've trained our bodies and our brains to bring it back to the page, back to the word that we were on and continue with the page. Meditation's really no different than doing that focus. What is aerobic fitness and how do we measure it? How does New York stress affect you? How much activity do you actually need to counteract your stress? What can you do now to manage stress and get more fit at the same time? In this podcast, I had a delightful interview with my guest colleague and friend, Steve Horney, physical therapist and owner of Integrated Health Sciences. And we discussed Steve's career and development, his Buddhist-like philosophy, being human, and the relationship between aerobic fitness and stress. Heal, move, get fit, evolve. Welcome to Move Evolution's Heal, Move, and Evolve podcast, where we discuss everything about the pain, injury, movement competency, and performance of the athlete, fitness enthusiast, musician, performing artist, anyone who moves for a living and lives to move. My name is Richard Simister. I am owner of Move Evolution Physical Therapy. I am a physical therapist, sports and conditioning specialist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. What are you talking about? My mission is to problem solve, provide you with valuable information, and to bring you that much closer towards your life, fitness, and goals. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From strength to sex to psychedelics, we discuss anything and everything that has to do with your overall physical wellness. Move, evolve. Welcome back to Move Evolutions Heal, Move, Evolve. And I am talking to friend, colleague, and very smart physical therapist, Mr. Steve Horney. How you doing, Steve? I am quite well, Richard. Thank you for the kind words. How are you doing today? I feel healthy, spectacular. I stopped drinking for a month. I stopped um, having any wheat in my diet for a month and no dairy for a month. And I've been drinking three quarters to a gallon of water per day. So I'm ready to 
hunt or build a treehouse or <laughs> go for a marathon. All the above. Yeah, I did the same thing, actually. That's so funny that you have uh, I, I, my evolution, we'll say, of my diet and my routines and even just the kind of the, some of the things that would be considered lifestyle have occurred over probably like eight to 10 years. And it, I was actually on a cruise once, read Wheat Belly. Again, I'm not saying this is the best and most amazing book in the world, but it got me to look at my gluten intake. So I kind of shaved that down. Then as I started to shave some other things, I was like, you know what, then beer maybe. So then beer went down. And then, so I was doing wine and ciders. Totally cool. Felt a little bit better. Then as that kind of lended itself into making a few more, I cut down meat once a day and all through it's, it's nice to hear you talk about it as an evolution but once you get that first domino to fall where you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> the things that I put into my body affect the way that my body feels. It's a whole new world out there. So it's really interesting that the catalyst be what it may. But I like hearing that, that those shifts are occurring. And I'm not even saying that those are the shifts that need to happen for everyone. I'm saying like, find your shifts, find your golden snowball that gets you moving. And it's a really nice ride down. But what do you miss the most? What cravings do you have? Nothing. Oh my God. I feel like we're such a, yeah. you crave what you consume person. And maybe that's your microbiome snatching all your sugars when you put them into your body. Or maybe there's some other just patterning, like we're patterned humans, but I don't miss anything. I definitely don't miss feeling like garbage all the time. Like I'm 38 years old. And when I was 28, I would say I heard, I used to be like, oh, it's because I work out so much. Bull. It was because my body was so inflamed. So I don't, yes. I love feeling better and almost like looking then towards the future to be like, Hey, I'm not saying like there's a fountain of youth out there, but it is nice to be very scientific about it and very curious about your own body and just walk through this beautiful experiment of lifestyle decisions. Well, knowing you, I know you have a, a good balance between body awareness and also pragmatism. So being, I'm going to call you a scientist because we are a scientist and you knowing that, you know, scientifically you're doing right by your body and also knowing how you feel, you don't have the joint pain or the muscle pain. I think that's also going to keep you from, I don't need that shit in my body. I, I don't miss it because it's, it's like smoking. It's just, I don't need it. It's bad for me. It's killing me. Why would I put it in my body? Yeah, and it, it, I felt like they kind of got replaced with, this makes it sound so crunchy, and I'm like kind of like <laughs> a hip, hippie, crunchy, meathead, nerd scientist, all of the things. But I mean, you know, if, if I wanted to go surfing and like my body felt like trash, that prevented me from something. And now it's almost like these have opened up things that are more fulfilling. So my cravings haven't changed um towards those things they just shifted towards other things that that probably feel just all in all better because it's kind of like once you clean off that windshield you see when you hit something and you're like oh that's no good oh that's no good but you see where you're driving you're like i like that i want to get there I don't think you're a hippie. I have an upcoming podcast on <laughs> the uses of LSD and mushrooms. So I, have you had from the diet change, any change in consciousness or altered consciousness, altered states or different ways of, you know, I never noticed that tree before, or I can sense that person's, I know I'm going deep and kind of metaphysical on you, Stephen, but have no, you had fine. a change in mental activity or cerebral awareness? 
I didn't notice it as much from that. I will say that I have a pretty robust mindfulness and meditation practice. And I'll even say, and I think a lot of people who have kind of made switches, um, I, I mean, I've meditated, I will say I've meditated for like 12 years every day, 361 days a year. Like, I, you know, it's just like part of my routine. But I would say in the last year and change, I've shifted the way I approach it. And that has been of benefit. And that gives me that, like walking down the street, just being like, oh, especially, I mean, there's a few things. If you're, if you're tapping into your visual cortex and you're just looking around, like there's so many cool things to look at mm -hmm. and you get to play the wonder game. Like how did that building get built? How yeah. long ago was that tree planted? Look at that wave coming in. Like that probably came from really far away and it's arriving on the shore right now. Like that stuff's super cool. And then I've said this before, but I mean, during the height of lockdown, I live in an apartment building in Queens. If you're tapping into the olfactory system and loving up on some smells, I don't think <laughs> that there is a better place in the entire world than walking from my apartment down the stairs to the laundry room in the basement and back up and on each floor smelling like not just Italian food, but like real Italian food. Not just Indian food, but real Indian food. Not just Chinese food, but real Chinese food. It's amazing. It's just like a beautiful olfactory journey that I get to go on walking from my apartment down to the laundry room and back up on a regular basis. And that maybe there has been a shift in because I don't know if I would have noticed that sort of stuff before. That's olfactory meditation. <laughs> what, Love it. Why do, you, why do you meditate? Is it more for concentration, to root yourself, to get closer to your God? To, why do you meditate? I meditate because I think that I idle pretty high. I think nature and nurture made me um, have a busier mind than the average person, which is part of why I think I am so successful. Like, And I'm not saying I'm like, I, I define success by the metrics that would say that I am successful. I help a lot of people out. Um, I feel like I have an ever expanding knowledge base of something I genuinely care about. Like those are the things that I would say make me successful. And I think that it's has pros and cons and to be able to use that and have balance and direction with that mind that tends to be more busy. I think that training and focus is what I would just say as far as like meditation, but like genuinely training the steering system of the brain, mm -hmm. I have found to be beneficial. Does it help you be more? Are you more productive when you meditate? Are you more on oh. center on, on point with your day? A hundred percent. And uh -huh. it's, it's nice to, it's not like distractions don't occur. It's just the best way I can kind of, um, I think people get lost in the, once the verbiage around meditation gets too uh, conceptual, I think a lot of people get lost. For anyone who's listening, it's like, go read a page of a book. As you're reading that book, you're focusing on that page. Your mind will inevitably wander multiple times while you're reading that book, but we've trained our bodies and our brains to bring it back to the page, back to the word that we were on and continue with the page. Meditation's really no different than doing that focus, but with focus on the breath, 
focus on a flame, you're staring at a, a small flame, focus on a mantra, whatever it might be. All meditation is, is a brain training exercise for focus. So when you get that steering system to work more in a context where there are no other present distractions than the mind, it tends to work better when you are in situations where there are more present distractions than the mind, or when you're trying to focus on something, just bearing down and getting into it a little bit better. The distractions still happen. You just kind of note them and you're on your way. Did everyone hear that folks from Steve Horney that it's okay to swerve with your thought as long as you don't drive off the road? Yeah, and even if you do, hey, you drove off the road. It's all good. <laughs> as long as you don't go over in a flaming, yeah. <laughs> rolling. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's the biggest misconception when it comes to um, kind of like uh, kind of changing people's mentalities. I think that they do not do a good job of making people acknowledge that sometimes resisting emotions mm -hmm. is just as bad as having um, – being in surroundings where they consistently happen. I understand if your mind is consistently saying negative things to you, that you would want to fill it with positive mantras. I get it. I totally understand why from a, like an, uh, almost a arithmetic, like if I'm getting seven of these inputs where my brain's saying like, you're not good enough. Things aren't going so well. Like, oh, what about this? What about that? If I can then get seven positive, like, you're awesome. Don't worry. It's all going to be great. That's the, then it balances things out. And, and in some ways it does and in some ways it doesn't. But I do think when it's approached from the mentality, like, oh, I am going to eliminate those bad voices in my mm -hmm. head if I fill it with positive thoughts all you're ending up doing is making a more cluttered mind. Those thoughts are going to enter. All you got to do is just say, okay, I thought about that and move back the focus to what you were doing. Okay. I thought about that and move back to what you're doing. It's, it's a noting exercise and it's also an exercise in acknowledgement of your emotions. And I think that that's really what's missing in like 90% of self-help books. There's two things. Mm -hmm. One is that I think that it's just taking and saying like, okay, um, just fill your mind with pleasant things and all will be well. And okay, that, that may work for some people in some ways. The other is not actually having people do the work. It's an exercise, a noting exercise when you sit and you're with your thoughts and when they enter, you note whether it's a thought or note when you feel something. And then if you want to categorize it above that, so be it. But that's doing the actual work. That's the training. I, when people want to make big shifts with their mentality, but don't actually do the exercises that 10 to 20 minutes every day, I almost liken it to a football team not being able to go into the gym or not being able to go out on the practice, like practice field. I feel like people are doing a good job of reading all these like how to how to play football books how to play football but you need to be able to go in the weight room and squat you need to be able to get out in the field and run your plays like that's the practice that makes life right a little bit easier and that's the those are the two things i think that a lot of uh self-help out there is uh is missing the mark on but it's changing just like anything else don't be so hard on yourself. And it's a daily practice. It's not a, uh, oh, I got it in three weeks. It's definitely, uh, it's like Tai Chi yeah. also, you know? Yeah. 
Exactly. Steve, I, I did some, um, and everyone, I wanted to let people know how, I don't remember how Steve and I first met. I know it was from a, a course and maybe a colleague yep. through a colleague, but I want to tell people that even though Stephen is a lot, I'm an old man, Stephen's a lot younger than I am. He has served not just as a really good friend, but he has been a mentor. We, we both own our own practices and I was a little bit uh, late in the game and Stephen really steered me on the right path to as far as uh, pricing, uh, staffing, billing, and also he let me come to his um, geek out sessions on Monday with his uh, colleague, his uh, staff member, Carl. So I just wanted to, as I always say, thank you for um, helping me get to where I am right now yeah. as far as um, professional growth. And I would say thank you to you because we just came at things from different angles. Mm -hmm. I felt like you were really good at finding the right people to follow as far as their programs for, for let's say for Instagram growth or for getting more patients. Where I, I, my hunch is you, it was like Dr. Jared Carter was maybe one of your influences. Like pe people like that, like you were yeah. really good at finding those people that were speaking the truth. And you brought all that to me. Whereas mine was kind of like, oh, I'm just kind of feeling this out. Like I ran a boat washing business. I used to be a bartender and I managed a clinic. Let me just put all this together and see what happens. And you had the, almost the, the um, kind of algorithms where, whether you had come up with them yourself or from other people. And that was really helpful. And then obviously I love nerd outs. And then, I mean, I just say, thanks. Like, one time, I think you laid your hands on me. My right foot was bothering me, and it felt great for like weeks. Oh, your toe. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That stupid big toe. You were a bartender? Yeah, I was a bartender in, in grad school, a little bit into college, yeah. Isn't that one of the best learning experiences working? And I was a waiter for three years. Isn't that one of the yep. best experiences about learning from people, about people observing personalities, traits, being able to serve and also be professional? I, I couldn't, I, I've said this before, but I, before that had run a really small boat washing and waxing business, which means it was me. And someone was like, Hey, if you wash my boat for free, I'll introduce you to four of my friends and they're probably going to want their boat wash. And I was like, sure. And I went from five boats to 15 boats and multiple wax jobs every week. And it was really a good thing when I was like 20, 21, whatever. I just happened to grow up down by the water and it was there and it was awesome. Um, that, and then coupled with being a bartender where it's really, I, I look at it as the ultimate exercise in two things. One is treating people according to their needs. Like people walk into bars with very different itches that needs to be scratched and acknowledging that and helping them towards that is a really good exercise and everyone's different and shouldn't be treated the same. And then the other thing is as a bartender, especially if you want to make money at it, realizing who needs your attention in that moment the most is a really good skill that I think carried me well to a busy clinic in physical therapy, like nothing prepared me better than being a bartender for working in a 20 minutes, 20 minute block, double book patients, busy gym <laughs> situation. And I was kind of like, Oh, I got this skill, like no problem. Like at least these people aren't going to like try and punch me <laughs> if they don't get what they want. And it helps you identify your target, your target audience. Also, you said that's yeah. my priority there. That's priority there. And you have to find yeah. your niche. 
Yeah, reading people's faces is a is a because a bars can be loud. You can't always hear. You can't see, but you can always kind of see someone's face. Yeah, and you can if you can tell what's going on behind that behind those eyes, you're you're in a good position. You'll, you'll right do on. better, and it's no different physical therapy. Right on. I want to ask a little bit about you, and I know your the, the initials after your name: physical therapy PT, physical therapy MPT, manual physical therapist. I'm yep. sorry, MPT, Masters of Physical Therapy, MTC, Manual Therapy Certification. Therapy certified, yeah, certified. St. Augustine. CSCS Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. Yep. SFMA, um, STRAM, I know that's the um, functional, Selective movement, functional, functional movement, functional movement yeah. assessment. Greg, I Greg don't, Cook's Yeah, I, I, I dig Greg Cook. He's, he's, he has a foundation. He does the research. I like the way he explains it but what is the yeah. hkc after your name is that that's kettlebell hard kettlebell yeah exactly uh, so that's dragon doors most basic uh kettlebell certification so that is all the only test outs on that is a swing a goblet squat and a turkish getup so that's it, it's just their like entry level cert if you will um gotcha. And it was really good. I, my coach was uh, Darius Gilbert and Reka Eiler, and they are stone cold geniuses. So it's really nice to just kind of go into a situation that's a little uncomfortable because it, I, there's overlap between strength and physical therapy, but they're not the same places. They're not the same worlds. And it's nice to have someone just be so good at their job that you kind of just get to sit back, relax, be a sponge and enjoy Indeed. everything about them. Yeah. Indeed. I, I, you mentioned yoga Earlier, yeah, do you it. practice any other uh, modalities for yourself? Yeah, so I, I have taught, and this is over the last 10 years, I have linked up with a place called Reflections Yoga, who does a yoga teacher training. They're over on the east side. Paula Tercy is amazing. And she would teach the yoga portion of it. And then myself or myself and Carl would teach the anatomy physiology and pathology portions of it so it got me kind of realizing because we would have to meet together and I would say all right we need to hit these muscle groups for this pathology I'm going to show the exercise that we do in the clinic what's the analogous yoga pose and she'd be like all right this this and this and you're like cool and you're like wow that's a great different way to approach it and that always got me interested in it and then just simply because of this um the the quarantine the stay-at-homes um there's some really great yoga out there on the internet. Yoga with Adrian and Sarah Beth Yoga are the two that I bounce back and forth between. And I think that it's easy for me because you and I have the vocabulary to understand the different parts of the body. And it's really nice. So you just kind of get to observe the way that they cue the exercises. And both of those women are really remarkable in the way that they talk. So it then it got me to buy... Um, the Iyengar um, yoga books and go into some power yoga books and things like that. I've been doing that. And then looking just more into, I, I'm always into kettlebells, but looking even more into like almost honing my exercise science, my exercise physiology skills. Um, I, I, having a CSCS have a background with that, having taken physiology in college, have a background with that. But the practical application of that, Joel Jameson wrote a book called The Ultimate um, 
ultimate guide to MMA strength and conditioning or M uh, ultimate guide to MMA conditioning. And that has been really nice coupled with doing deep dives into Pat Davidson, um, Mike T. Nelson, Brendan Rerick. Like there's, there's a lot of really good information out there. So yeah, I, those are what I've been diving into now. And then I got back into running. I hadn't run in years. Um, it's wow. so easy. It's so quick. So I got back into running. <laughs> surfing is is probably my favorite thing, but I just haven't had time. Like I'm still trying to get this boat moving in the right direction professionally. But as soon as I feel like I can take a day off, I'm down at the water, no doubt. What sign are you? I'm a Pisces, so there oh, you so go. you're water. Okay, and that yeah, was a really a nice setup you had with the yoga instructor. So you were teaching and also being taught in in uh, a modality you really appreciated. And I wanted to ask you about the, the impetus or the, uh, the inspiration behind the name of your, of your studio, Integrated Physical Sciences. What are you, why did you choose the name and what are you integrating it within your practice? Yeah, so, so we're Integrated Health Sciences and then we're IPT is the, the physical therapy branch of it. And God, it was so hard to find the name and I, I'll tell like the quickest story but originally if you, if you notice anyone who knows our logo is the trinity symbol so we originally were trinity health sciences and the health sciences really was born from the fact that we're not just physical therapy um, I racked my brain for many, 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 many hours to try and find out what kind of the second part of the name was going to be and it was New Year's Eve, probably like four years ago. I woke up, probably five. And I woke up and just got in my car and drove south. I was like, it's New Year's Eve. I don't have anything to do. I'm just going to drive down. And I landed at the Outer Banks. That was just where I landed. And I got a hotel. That was it. I watched the sunrise. And as I was driving home, it's a great example of when white space is so necessary. <laughs> and my, my degree my bachelor's degree is in health sciences. Like this was in front of me the whole time. And then it was just like health sciences. And I was like, cool, done, that's it. And so then that was the second part because we didn't wanna just be in a silo or physical therapy. We do all things that are health and everything we do, we like to think is scientific. So the next part was the, the, first, the first word of the name, which is like, oh my God, I was like functional health sciences. Um, Trinity was actually what we landed on. I have, I have actually DBAs um, for our business for Trinity Health Sciences because I wanted it to be the Trinity of the neuromyofascial system. Like that was where I was like, all right, like these are where they all come together. You didn't even get the skeletal system in there, but like I wanted it to be kind of the, a lot of people talk about the nervous system cool a lot of people talk about like the myofascial system cool a lot of people talk about the skeletal system and i felt like we were people that had a good handle on all three of those so it was going to be the trinity of the neuro muscular fascial and skeletal system and then we ended up it didn't happen but one of our lawyers was like hey like you're doing enough education and you're growing at a pace that you're going to end up having copyright infringement with Trinity College and or wow. Trinity Hospital Systems. And we were like, cool. Let me just take this <laughs> website, throw it in the garbage. Let me take this. That's crazy. Why would there be any type of infringement? Because one, you're a different type of specialty and Trinity is not a trademark name. Yeah. What they were saying is because we wanted to go into education hard 
which is what we're we're doing. We're teaching more courses. We're gonna do more online stuff. Like everything's gonna end up being there. That that we would end up offering things that were similar enough that if someone who was looking for some sort of health advice could end up finding us when they were really looking for Trinity College. Like if they were looking for a health science degree from Trinity College and they Googled Trinity Health Sciences and ended up seeing us, that that could end up being interpreted as a confusion on the uh, consumer's part. And then Trinity Hospital Systems offers physical therapy. I like to sleep well at night. I don't wanna have to worry about getting so big that I would end up then having to fight legal battles. Integrated Health Sciences was frankly even a better name and we're so in integrated. We kind of like East, Eastern Hemisphere, Western Hemisphere, our biggest influence. One of our favorite people that we teach with is Peter D'Aquino, one of the best acupuncturists and traditional Chinese medicine people in the biz. And he's really gotten us to look at the body as a whole and it should be, an, it should have been Integrated Health Sciences the whole time. So I'm kind of thankful. So no regrets with the new name. Did you did you have a hard time gaining momentum with your clientele or promoting it because uh, physical therapy is not your name and the title people may not recognize what you actually do for services? Yeah, I think that people, I think people, I, I don't think that it's any bother with people that we already have a relationship with, but I do think that I think that it causes confusion even on Instagram and things like that um, where people, it, it, it's why we have right in the beginning, like physical therapists gone rogue on, on our Instagram profile so that people immediately get who we are. It was a hard, it was a balance that we were looking for. My brother's in advertising and I was like, what do you think about this name for a physical therapy clinic? And what do you think about this name for our education? What do you think about this name for products? And he was like, Steve, if you were one of my clients, you need an umbrella organization name and something you can brand under it. And the integrated lended itself to I really easily. So IPT was born. And there's enough of a connection that people get it and it's all good. And then on our actual Google Maps for our clinic, it doesn't say integrated health sciences, it's IPT physical therapy, so that nobody gets confused uh, and leads to the website. Smart. Yes, it was, a, it was a long like uh, dance act that happened with that. Hey, Steve, I, I, I'm going to ask you to brag about yourself, then you're going to expose your weaknesses. Um, I sure. know manual therapist, physical therapist, CSCS, kettlebell trainer. What do you do well, but also what don't you do well? Oh, man. I think what I do well is put it all together. I think that I am good at looking at an athlete and saying, okay, here's where I think you don't move all that well. Here's where I think that your strength is a little bit down, but taking it to the next level of saying like, hey, where's your digestion at? Where is your sleep at? Where's your respiratory rate while you're sleeping? Where's that at? Where's your VO2 max with your mouth open versus your mouth closed mm. at? And then how can I make that better? So we have our eight foundations of health and that's hydration, diet and digestion, sleep, stress, exercise, ergonomics, breathing and connection. And ergonomics. I don't think that there's, 
Yeah, and, and Eric and I was mm. just like patterns, but it's like if I put patterns in there, I think it gets a little confusing. But like ergonomics, the way that you set yourself up in a day physically is it matters. I, I think that we developed and we teach us at our courses, but we call it a PIP diagnosis model. So it's pattern impairment pathology or pathology impairment pattern, depending on whether you want to look at it forward or backwards. But I, it was kind of born from having so many students and them coming to me and me saying like, okay, well, like what's wrong with them? You know, they just evaluate, they just took an hour and a half with some patient and they're off and I come back and I'm like, so what's wrong with them? They're like, oh, it's a super grade one supraspinatus tear. And I'm like, cool. But like, what's wrong with them? Because <laughs> like, I can't do anything about so I'm like, all right. So I extend them back and I'm like, hey, don't forget that you can like look at range of motion and strength. Like I'm like, go, go, go get them. And then they come back and they're like, okay, it's a grade one supraspinatus tear secondary to a lack of thoracic extension and weakness in the scap stabilizers and um, over dominant and hard to lengthen anterior chest wall. And I'm like, cool. Like now we're getting somewhere. This is better, but I'm still like, but, but what, what's really like, what's wrong with them? Like they weren't born and, and I'll take this all the way back, but like they weren't born with a defective supraspinatus. They weren't born with a def defective thoracic spine or scap stabilizers or anterior chest wall. So like, so what's going on here? And so then I'm like, go ask them about their lifestyle. Like go for it, come on. And then finally they would come back and be like, okay, well, it's a grade one supraspinatus tear, secondary to an inability to thoracically extend, stabilize the shoulder, scap shoulder complex, anterior uh, pecs, hard to lengthen, due to sitting at their desk for six hours every day and having no physical exercise. That's like, the way to peel the end. That onion. is a robust that's a robust diagnosis. So that's like the <laughs> diagnosis model. And all of it sits on that biopsychosocial model. Like you cannot remove that from the equation. So that's really where the eight foundations of health were born. And I kind of see myself as a bit of an ambassador from holistic health to the people that are in the strength world being like, I look forward to the day when the Seattle Seahawks instead of just having their people come in and Seattle Seahawks are like actually probably the first people that would do it. Like they're usually pretty cutting edge, but where someone comes in and they've done an elimination diet protocol before they show up to training camp so that their digestion is in the right place. So they don't have unnecessary inflammation or inflammatory processes occurring in their body so they can just get down to business. And they've already been, been screened to realize that they're mouth breathers and that they need to be able to breathe nasally and breathe nasally well. And those are the types of things that I think will be really nice when they're just common in strength and conditioning, but they're not there, but I'm doing my best to get people to think about them more because there's a lot more that goes into a human being than just sets and reps and pain and tears and inflammation and, and, and just I just will say like standalone itises. There's so much more to humans. So that's what I would say I do well. What I don't do all that well, and, and I, it's almost kind of the same answer. It's like any of those things that I mentioned, I am not a master because I'm not, 
I think it's important to have a really good view of all of the things. But if I dove too deep into one of those, if I just dove into manual therapy, or if I just dove into movement, or if I just dove into um, just functional medicine and holistic health, and if I just drove into, dove into strength and conditioning, I don't think that I would be as effective because I think one of my strengths is making connections. And in order to make connections, I need to have a vocabulary that's vast, but maybe not speak only one language really, really well, but speak a lot of languages pretty well. I, I, when I was in Ghana, I learned one of the first aspects or components of connection is, and I'm sorry if I sound kind of flowery and, but as love is ex expressing expressing yeah. that you want to hear what the what the client is talking about. You're engaged in the client. You really care about the client. Once you have that connection, without being false or gimmicky, that's that's half the treatment. Some people just want to be heard, you know, because doctors, whoever, just okay. I heard a third of what you said, and here's your here's your here are your pills. Here's your diagnosis. And I also want to say it was very poignant that you you mentioned the psychosocial. And that can be. Uh, influence that can influence your breathing your movement so that was pretty deep Stephen. and i want to give you a chance for a free promo you had a pdf that you showed me that i thought was brilliant you uh you and carl put it together it was a movement sciences uh it was a pdf you put out about movement your 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 pillars um diet sleep stress ergonomics do you remember yeah that? Yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's our foundations of health. Our eight foundations of health is, is a free section on our website that I think everyone should just go and check out. Um, it's not even like, even where kind of the research is a little bit up in the air. I do a good job, I think, of telling you where this person might think this and this person might think that or not taking a stance and almost giving you a way to navigate through it so that you figure out who was right for you and who was wrong for you. Um, yeah, no, definitely, definitely check out. So our whole business is based on our eight foundations. So we have our eight foundations of health, which is, as I said before, is hydration, sleep, uh, sorry, hydration, diet and digestion, sleep, stress, exercise, ergonomics, breathing and connection. And connection is self, nature and community. Those are the way that we break down. I think there's really quality research for all of those things. Then what's next on top of that is our eight foundations of movement. So that's just us as far as saying like, here are the most common physical impairments that we see, meaning people's ankles tend to get tight, people's hips tend to get tight, people's middle backs tend to get tight. Took all of the low hanging fruit that we see all the time and built them into as quickly as we could checking them with eight functional tests. So then that, so that's the next portion of the pyramid. So the bottom's health, the next one's movement. The next one is your eight foundations of exercise. First and foremost is your pillar prep, which is the ability to kind of have the right stability and mobility from your shoulders to your hips. And we break that down by muscle groups. So the 12 muscle groups, uh, we'll say the 12 muscle groups from the shoulders all the way down to the hips. That's the first and most important one. Then the rest of the seven are just like everyone else's. That's your squats, your hinge, your lunges, your push, your pull, your locomotion, and your rotation. So those are the other seven. And then on top of that is your performance. We're still in the lab. We got some of the brightest minds working on that. We have like 28 
foundations of performance right now that we're trying to whittle down to eight. Um, but that's going to be awesome too. So yeah, you can check out all, almost all of that is free and out there. If you don't mind going through our Instagram and through our website, it's definitely worth checking out. And I'm going to give you a chance at the end to have, uh, have people find you and it will also be in the show notes. As far as your performance uh, at component, do you, I know you're an SFMA person, but do you, have you ever looked at the FCA, the functional capacity assessment? So it's more about power, power control, motor control, impact control. No, but that, I mean, that's exactly not by that name. Like I try and look at like work, like we'll say aerobic work capacity, power production and impact too is especially being a boxing gym like impact is really important um no tell me a little bit about that if you think it's worthwhile for it it has it has four components and let me see if i remember motor control postural control postural control power control and impact control so motor control they specifically look at the shoulder and the ankle for postural control this is a very cool one they actually have you do a a lift and carry with the deadlift bar or two sandbags to see if you can carry a certain amount, a percentage of your weight uh, uh, for a certain amount of time. You have to be pre-screened with a grip test to make sure you can tolerate the test. The power control has a lot to do with your jump, just like leapfrog. So one jump, sorry, with two legs and one leg. And then the oh, impact smart. control, you have more uh, uh, plyometrics and multiple frog jumps, uh, uh, frog hopping. So you can see yeah, sure. how much energy you can store in your legs. And if you can use that energy store to, you know, that kinetic energy, if I'm using the term correctly to, uh, yeah. explode out of that position. So it helped me a lot. It made me think, it made me, uh, compartmentalize what I want to do and what I want to look at. So after this, um, podcast, I can teach you and show you. All yeah. I mean, everything that you just mentioned is in that is on our huge um, board right now that we're looking at, like exactly all those tests. And, and so my, my hope is that we'll get those, get creative with making them efficient and then even add some more things like what's the difference or what's the ratio between your nasal VO2 max and mm -hmm. your regular VO2 max. Like I think CO2 tolerance is really interesting for performance. I think the ATP and we'll just say like the stored ATP and creatine phosphate system, like what that can do or like the alactic anaerobic system, I think is a really important thing to look at on its own. So we're kind of like trying to take different little angles of, at what we can get into. And again, we're always, our thing is always make it simple. So the average consumer, if they want to consume it, can consume it. And you'll be talking to Boba Banco from FitCare soon and two things. One, I only have four pillars of health. He has five and you have eight. So that's, that's pretty impressive <laughs> and that makes sense. And he's also, and I'm hoping I'm not blowing up his idea, but he's also trying to put together and present like 15 or 20 main things anyone should do to uh, maintain their fitness or at least enhance their fitness. So uh, uh, you, should, you two should have an interesting conversation. And yeah. I want to say um, at this point, I'm going to take a, a small break. And Steve and I, I'm going to talk, ask uh, some personal stuff about Steve and him and his company. And then we, I, I promise you we will get into the main topic of uh, the relationship between aerobic fitness and stress. So we will be right back. We 
We are back with the Move Revolution Heal, Move, Evolve podcast, talking with genius Steve Horney, physical therapist. Hey, Steve, we're back. How you doing? I'm still fantastic. This has been so <laughs> lovely to do. Thank you so much. I'm going to get really personal and get into your shit. So, no, really, I want to ask you, what, what gets you up in the morning, Steven? Oh, man, I think that this, and, and we talked a little bit before the show about this, but, I mean, the events that have been occurring, and again, I, I am in the grand scheme so, I'm in such a, I'm in a totally fine place. Like, I, that needs to be said right now. Like, I, I, I have unfortunately lost some people that, like, my, my old boss unfortunately passed away from this. Um, one of my buddies was in the hospital for a while, but he's totally fine. Like it's not even really worth mentioning. I more feel for my friends that are in healthcare. And then obviously my friends who are, it's not like there's just a, um, it's not like there's just a pandemic occurring, but the, the hundreds and hundreds of years of buildup that are being reflected today in our society. Um, that's something that also just needs, needs to be mentioned and is the reason why I'm like, all things are gravy right now in in my world, except for when I'm trying to make sure that I am doing my best to be an ally and an advocate for the people that can't say that. So with all that being said, I think that this has really knocked a lot of people off their axis in one way and then also centered people in another way. And I really now know because you take all the distractions away when 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 you can't go into work and do the hands-on work which you're just so accustomed to doing it's like what really lights my fire as you Mm -hmm. said like what gets you up and i love learning and i love helping people out and the thing that i'm my brain seems to be best to retain analyze and regurgitate and connect is information about health and it doesn't have to be just physical therapy it's almost been in an interesting way i i really do think that functional medicine is going to end up becoming so much more popular after all of this um i mean we're we don't die you could say our diet sucks because it sucks it totally sucks and you can say that our activity level sucks because it sucks because it totally sucks but when it comes to health literacy about diet and even looking at it through the lens of digestion first and then diet second and then activity not just being like getting active but really understanding like hey if your resting heart rate isn't 60 or below, that's probably something that you should be working on with a little bit more cardiovascular work. Um, I think that the health literacy isn't all that great. And I like learning and maybe it's, it's a cause and effect, but maybe it's because of what's going on. But I think it's just naturally always how I was born because I was an athlete. Like I enjoy consuming the information right now that is so necessary. That's going to help people be healthier so that if they do end up getting COVID-19, they will not be a statistic. They'll be a person that had it, but not hospitalization. And if they are hospitalization, not a person that's on the death count. So that's kind of what gets me up and gets me going, but it's just helping people out. Like that's always how it's just kind of been. I got that from my family. It's like, if I'm helping someone out, it's all good. And I think the best way I'm equipped to help people out is through health because I like learning about it. Are you like do you feel i'm sorry to cut you off no and you like learning yeah do you do you feel with your your 
studying your research, your learning, and also because of the pandemic that not that you were forced to recreate yourself, but you feel yourself naturally uh, metamorphosizing into something. You were always, you, you were always beyond a physical therapist, but you feel like you're going to um, uh, fulfill a different need once you get uh, going full steam back in the studio. Yeah. It's like, it's like a rapid evolution. I think that had to happen. Um, it, it really, I don't know. I think when things are, when, when there's a whole lot going on, if your professional life isn't where you want it to be, it gets magnified. And I think I realized like, Oh, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. And if I do that right now, it's going to stress me out more. And there's enough stress going on around that. I don't think I'm going to do it. So you just fall into the things that resonate with you more. And for me, that's been interesting. Like sports performance, like exercise, fizz, yoga, kettlebell, even just like working more with my kettlebells, just more like becoming the best coach that I can possibly be for kettlebells and functional medicine. Like those are the four things that, that I just like, as soon as I get a free moment, that's what I'm diving into. Steve, I've never heard you get angry. I've never heard your, 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 you yeah. getting overexcited. And just from just this podcast, you have this, you exude this Buddhist aura about you and this philosophy. Do you subscribe to any such practices? Yeah, I think that it's, I think it's really interesting because I was I, like, I, my mother is, Catholic. My father is Episcopal. I was raised in the church, very, very service oriented. Um, like we would go with one of the youth groups, we would go up and it was like a, our own habitat for humanity. And that was what was going on on summers and stuff like that. And, and just like my mom being a teacher, it was always just helping people out as best you can. So that was original. Then uh, philosophy, I took when I was in college and opened my eyes up to Buddhism. And it was just really interesting, just about the elimination of suffering and being in the moment were two things that didn't really cross my mind until then. And then I kind of put it on the back burner for a little while, but still like always knew that service was how I wanted to be. Um, and then I, I, as I said, like, I always looked at meditation from the scientific standpoint. So I read something called the relaxation response. I don't know if you've, you've seen it, but it's like an old, I think it's from 1970s about the benefits of meditation. And it was kind of um, X's and O's, nothing really behind it as far as uh, like altruism or anything like that. It was just like, that was it. Um, fast forward a little bit, read the book by the Dalai Lama and Howard C. Cutler, The Art of Happiness, which is really cool. I don't know if you've caught it, but it's like just an awesome mix of a conversation with the Dalai Lama and a psychiatrist asking the Dalai Lama his a gift. You gave me that oh, that's gift. so cool. That's so awesome. 10th anniversary so, yeah. edition. It's the best. So it's it's exactly what you would hope it would be, whereas it's the Dalai Lama sharing his opinions and then Howard C. Cutler giving the much more recent than what I had studied in the book that was from the 1970s, current research on what he was saying. And 
the, the long and short, I'll save you a long read, but definitely read it yourself, is that the act of serving others is the path, fastest path to happiness. That, that it's actually, and there's one research study that they cite where a person is either given a $1 bill or they're given a $1 bill to give the dollar bill to someone else. And they track their happiness levels. And the people who gave the dollar bill to someone else were happier for longer. And I thought that that was a really interesting thing. And then got to see the Dalai Lama speak, really cool, took my mom to it. And the crux of it was just saying that, oh, that that's like on a micro sense, but then on a macro sense, that education is the pathway to, and now we're switching more towards like probably, I believe the word contentment is probably a better use for, work, for the word, but the path, quickest path to contentment for the world, a world that obviously has a lot of very bad things going on, is for education of all of the beings as much as possible. And I thought that that was really, so it was like micro, I serve others, macro, we need more access to education. Cool, put it on the back burner for a little while. And then I, Andy Puticum, who's the founder of Headspace, I think that he he wrote um, the guide, the Headspace's guide, you know, whatever that is. He wrote a book to go with the app. I feel like that book is a, a really good read. Like that book and the subtle art of not giving a fuck are really good reads um and it was nice how andy takes a really good job about how to approach mindfulness and meditation and makes it very usable and meets people where they're at so that was that's kind of the story with that i think it's really interesting but yeah all all i know is that i really like to help people out and it doesn't tend to burn me out I think now I'm better at realizing when it burns me out and putting on my life vest first. And that's kind of, that's kind of my approach for everything. And the key word you see other than education was the, the other was uh, serving, which is the basis for most yeah. um, religions and even cults and cults, religions are cults. And I think that's why you and I, one, love our job so much and also yeah. feel so rich and not rich financially, intrinsically and, and fulfilled with what we do because we, it's, you know, people want, what do you want to do for a living? I want to be a TPT. Why? I want to help people. No, we want to serve people and also get yeah. that, 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 not just the feedback or the pat in the back, that's secondary, but that feeling of um, gratitude, the feeling of, yes, I really made a difference in someone life, someone's life. And the education, I don't think there has to be a separation because as, as Bo says, you know, we're, we are also, at least the higher level physical therapists and trainers, we are also educators. And if you can't, explain why and what you're doing and also just 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 pass along that knowledge then what kind of therapist are you yeah and that's a kind of takes it back to the kieran o'sullivan test i i that's the okay we just did our first session our initial evaluation at the end of it the last thing i ask my patient is okay you're gonna go home and someone's gonna ask you what happened today Explain to me how you're going to explain to them what I said here and what your understanding of that was. And I think it's really important. Brett Bartholomew is a really good resource for that. The uh, Conscious Coaching um, is a great book, should be read by all. And his ethos in that is a lot of different things. But one is 
the book about sets and reps has been written a thousand times. Let's not rewrite that book. Let's talk about how to communicate with people. And an important part of communication is building trust. It's not, it, the word buy-in has gotten almost because of, I think, advertising people, sorry, brother, but like, you know, it's gotten turned into almost this, this dirty word and it all buy-in is, is trust. And that's what we need to connect with our patients so that we can take them to the next level. If they don't trust you, they're not really going to do what you know is best for them. Um, that coupled with some motivational interviewing strategies, I think are really helpful. So yeah, it's all, it's all wrapped up into one. Really <laughs> I'm nice deleting, thing. I'm deleting the word buy-in from all my uh, um, past blogs. <laughs> no, <laughs> and I'll put don't, trust don't, and I'll don't. do cut and replace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, buy-in's not a dirty word. I, I thought, felt like I had almost deleted everything and I felt like Brett Bartholomew gave, let me put it back in and feel good about it. You, 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 as far as educating your clients, and I, I, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but in three words, uh, categorize or classify your favorite client and the client who is a PETA or pain in the ass. No names. Yeah. Okay. Guilty. No. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I stepped my away from the microphone. Client, that's fine. Okay. So my favorite client, and 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 I'll even put a spin on it to be all clever. The way that I'll answer that is say that they're not actually a client; they're a student. So this is from Pavel Satsul and was speaking about how the ideal person to work with is not someone that you view as a client or a patient but as a student and someone who wants to learn the information that you want to provide and is on that journey with you. That's excited. When you go to a new course, they're excited because they know that they're going to get more information. That's who gets me so excited because they tend to develop a really good vocabulary and they tend to have a robust understanding of their body the longer that they've been educated like that and they give the best feedback which can guide them to the best interventions on our side so that's definitely excited is your tag word for your for your favorite client yeah, okay. and how totally. about your your headache client somebody's not willing to learn okay there's nothing more frustrating <laughs> when it's like when it's you feel like the you want the person to get better then they want to get better and and i guess through motivational interviewing i i i'm a lot easier on them they're just not ready to change and that's okay and there's not that's not their fault that's just where they're at right now so i used to take it a lot more personally but i don't anymore i don't i don't feel like there's anything wrong with a person who's in a different place than you wish that they were at I think it's just the patient's process with them and giving them as much as you feel like they can handle without overwhelming them and also trying to get to the root of it. Like whether if they're coming for their hip and they don't want to do their side planks, fine, that's cool. But let's during our sessions be looking into our eight foundations of health and figure out what's in there. Maybe, maybe it's the stress level. Maybe it's something else that's going on. I'm not a psychologist. I never claim to be. I do feel like as physical therapists, sometimes people forget that the word physical is first and exists there. I feel like a lot of times we are just straight up therapists to people. But without going too much, 
into someone else's lane, I think you are allowed to ask people questions to get them thinking. And sometimes that changes someone from a person who doesn't want to learn about their body and doesn't really want to take it, um, take it in the direction because they're just not ready. And asking them questions that get them to ask themselves questions that can perhaps move that needle just a little bit or figure out what's making that needle stick in that spot. Do you believe in the quote, and this was floating around, it was either a trainer or a physical therapist, that if your patient or client does not, is not uh, compliant with their home exercise program, it's not their fault, it's your fault. I can tell you how I feel, but you can probably tell by my tone, I don't fully believe that. How do you yeah, feel that's that? so, sometimes, sometimes, yes. The, the, I'll give the, the best answer of all time, it depends. <laughs> like sometimes it, I didn't do a good job of explaining it. Sometimes they're just not doing it and that's okay. Neither is my fault, their fault. It's just a reflection of where I was at that day, the way I communicated and all of my circumstances and events and opinions going into that one interaction and them on the other side with just as much behind that. So I don't, I, I sure. Sometimes that's true. Is that always, anytime anyone says, always or never. I think that's the ultimate nullifying word. So no, obviously it's not always true. How do you feel about it? I think that's BS. I think, yeah, many times if you don't try, if you don't care, if you don't listen, if you don't refer out to the right person, if you don't take their psychosocial or their psychology into, uh, into consideration, then yeah, you just, <laughs> that's your fault. But there are people who are very, belligerent recalcitrant that don't want to listen that come in already with a chip on their shoulder. I'm sorry. You have to, <laughs> you have to go somewhere else. There's nothing I can do for you. And sometimes these are the people who want to stick around. It's almost like they're testing you. So I'm going to put up a brick wall and let's see if you can chip at yeah. it, chip away at it, <laughs> you know, brick by brick or piece by piece. And I am not being rude. I am 52, 53 and my lack of, um, I don't have that tolerance anymore. Again, sure. if they're excited to come in, excited to learn, then yeah, I'll give it my my all. And if they're a little bit, you know, on the fence, I will still give it my all. But if they're coming in to give me a hard time or to test me, or they have no, they can't, my doctor sent me. Okay, but why are you here? Yeah. My doctor, okay, I can't see you. Steven, two, yeah. two last questions about you. Um, do you have a mantra that helps you get into work or get you through the day? And do you have a, a, just a leader, a spiritual leader or someone who, when you find myself in times of trouble that, you know, the Beatles song that you just have to call upon his or her name just to get you back on path. So mantra that gets you through the day and someone, an icon that, that brings you back to center. Yeah. So I would say my mantra is love and balance that's i don't have one it's just that is what i feel like in the times where i'm doing my meditation and i'm and i'm asked to think of an intention those are the two things love and balance um i would say the the um as far as the the person and i'm glad you actually asked it that way um that i look to in times of trouble it's mother nature is actually mm. where I go. That's my, that's my thing, man. I, 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 I don't know. I guess everything's kind of, I feel like if you were, I, I, I feel like if perhaps you 
have been exposed to more guidance when you were younger, you then maybe gravitate towards less guidance as you get older. And if you were exposed to less guidance when you were younger, perhaps you were, then you crave more guidance as you get older. So I, 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 mother nature just seems to be the one that calls to me. Well, it's the, the, the liaison. And this is also because of my African religion and spirituality. It's the main liaison between God or your gods and your ancestors, the ones who have passed before you. And, you know, I often stare at a tree and, or I know this sounds silly, but a mushroom because mushrooms are ancient oh. and just, there's a song by Arrested Development, um, Tennessee, and it's all about yeah, going back and talking to the ancestors. And Tennessee. To yes, Tennessee, I, I love that song. It's deep. It's Great deeper than song. most people yeah. recognize. And just yes. a tree so has Mr. so Wendell. much. So is Mr. Wendell. So, yeah, obvious, so obviously, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. All right, folks, we're going to take a very short break, and I promise we're going to get to the main topic. I just find Stephen so interesting. So we're going to get to the main topic of of, um, the relationship between uh, exercise or aerobic uh, fitness and stress. So we will be right back. Stephen, I, I, I want to ask you why this topic, the relationship between aerobic fitness and stress. And folks, he's the first guest I've had that chose his own topic. Usually I chose choose it. So Stephen, I have to tell you, I was deeply insulted. Uh, you tried to usurp my authority and you are rogue, a troglodyte, and a rapacious rapscallion. So with that being said, please tell us why, you, why you're so... Um, uh, hot and uh, why you want to talk about this topic, why this is so important to you. Yeah, I think that, again, as I was talking about before, it's like connections are kind of my thing. And I feel like a lot of people have a really good understanding of the basic, you Google like how to reduce stress. Um, I think the same things come up time and time again, obviously, like meditation comes up or it comes up a therapist or cold showers or going sitting in nature and things like that exercise you know 20 to 30 minutes of moderate exercise like I feel like those come up all the time but I feel like there's sneaky little ways that nobody's talking about that you can have a positive effect on your nervous system then also though I kind of want to take and we've discussed this but like the macro level of almost the way that I frame that question saying like to reduce your stress, like, no, that's not it. I want people to change their relationship with stress. No one can reduce their stress completely. So if you're looking at it from that model, you're going to be constantly disappointed. The tolerance of stress in your life, the tolerance of emotions and feelings you don't like in your life is true freedom. And that's kind of maybe what we should even start with. Would you mind if I start at the almost a macro and then like brought it down to what it looks like to put a Band-Aid on the situation, but like maybe teach people how to maybe not trip and fall so much so they don't skin their knees so they don't need as many Band-Aids? Go ahead, man. Do All right. Thing. So, yeah. 
For me, it breaks down to, we'll say the M's, the A's, the R's, the P's, and the C's. So, and if you want to remember that, Mar is C in Spanish, and PC is like PC is like the Pacific Coast. So, two M's, two A's, two R's, two P's, and two C's. So, the way that I look like in a macro sense, we'll just say mental health is that mindfulness and meditation are to learn how to become aware and acknowledge resistance and rationalization. So that's your two M's, your two A's, and your two R's. And this is all to be all right, like almost like the art of all right, is just being okay with things so that you can have the patience process, so you can work on communication, and then making connections between things in your life. So that's your two M's, your two A's, your two R's, your two P's, and your two C's. I like that breakdown. And I actually, I actually like how you said everyone has stress. You can't delete or diminish all of your, you can diminish your stress. You can't get rid of it, but you, um, you can, it's, it's about your reaction to, it's about your reaction exactly. to stress. And as a, as an athlete and as a healthcare provider, I was just kind of like, like I can win. Like if I work harder, I can win. And I don't think that that's how this goes down so much. So that's kind of like the, this is the lens that I look through everything regarding mental health. With that being said, though, there are kind of some clever ways that you can reduce, we'll say, the sympathetic nervous system. And just for anyone who's listening at home, you have your voluntary nervous system. So like if I ask you to throw me that ball, that's the voluntary nervous system. Then you have your involuntary nervous system, which are things like, best example is the, the how much your eyes are, uh, your pupils are dilated or not. Like you have no control, no matter what you do, there's no way that you can possibly control that. There's some things in the middle that maybe represent a bridge, like your breathing and stuff like that. Um, but of that involuntary nervous system, there's two main branches and it's your sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight, meaning I just am in a room chilling, reading a book and someone drops a tiger in there and I panic. I grab the wall. How does someone drop a tiger in your room? I'm just curious how someone would drop a helicopter. I thought about it too. Yeah. (laughs) They took a helicopter. It was a coordinated effort because the people above me actually were like in on it. It was crazy. It's like a Warner Brothers Bugs Bunny cartoon. Exactly. Totally true story, right? Yeah. And then the other part of that is the parasympathetic nervous system or that rest and digest. The unfortunate best example of that is, unfortunately, if you were dying on a desert island, your whole body would try and consume as much energy as possible. So your heart rate goes down and your respiratory rate goes down and the blood moves back to your organs to preserve as long as possible. So that system is clearly not going to be helpful if you're in a stressful situation, if you're feeling stress and you don't want to be feeling stress. And simplest definition of stress is just things being different than you want them to be. So we can just take that and run with it there. But that sympathetic, trying to get that, we'll say the down regulation of that sympathetic nervous system, I think can be done in like three kind of clever ways. And one of them is having the appropriate aerobic abilities, Um, meaning that doing cardio, but cardio with a very specific purpose in mind, not for performance, 
but in order to have your resting heart rate then drop. Why is that so important, Stephen? Please explain why it's important to have a, 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 a lower resting heart rate and why it's important to measure it. Yeah, so the resting heart rate, we were talking before about our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Your, your mind can read certain things that are occurring in your body and then anticipate what's going on and therefore prepare you for what it thinks is going on. And sometimes that preparation would also mean that it ends up creating a loop that continues to go long after it actually needs to go. And so your respiratory rate, we'll talk about that for a second. Um, your respiratory rate is something that is given to you in a certain way. Like when you're asleep, you're not doing anything to control your respiratory. It's just naturally happening. It goes up and it goes down and your body regulates that and that's all fine. You also can tell someone, hey, I want you to take a few deep, slow breaths and their rest, they'll manually bring their respiratory rate down and that can end up having a calming effect on the rest of their body and then their heart rate will drop down. But if you can get your body to not have to beat the heart so fast, then it will have a calming effect on your mind because it will read that as, okay, things are all right. So it's always looking at your respiratory rate. It's looking at your heart rate. It's looking at the other things that would end up either getting upregulated or turned up or turned down as indicators of, hey, where are we at right now? And if you can get one of those main indicators, meaning your heart rate, to drop lower, it can have a relaxation response on your body. Interesting. What are you? What are you actually measuring when you go in and you're you're explaining? You're the educator. And you're explaining the relationship between aerobic fitness and stress. How are you breaking down? And listen, this is what stress is. You already explained that, but this is what's going on. Are you going it deep into it psychologically, chemically, uh, physiologically? Uh, what are you expressing to the client? This is why, and so we're going to use the word buy-in. This is why you need to up your physical fitness, your aerobic fitness, because this is what's going on within your body. Yeah, I, I like to almost pretend like it has nothing to do with what their, with their stress. Like if, if I like to look at a whole bunch of things out of the gate so that no one feels bad like i just quote unquote caught something and thought that it was so bad that i needed to ask some more questions and develop interventions to fix it because they're so bad so i take everyone's resting heart rate and if it's not at 60 or below mm -hmm. then i talk to them about their aerobic fitness regardless regardless of whether they say i am or i'm not feeling stressed on a regular basis so they actually end up filling out that portion of how they feel they handle stress and things like that after like it's all during our first encounter but it's after we've actually already looked at their resting heart rate so i already have that information so i don't seem biased or i don't feel like i'm being reactionary so for them i just talk to them and say like hey your resting heart rate is higher than what we would like to have it and, and can be an indicator of your aerobic capacity. And then I, I go into talking about how your heart is a muscle just like any other muscle. And muscles can stretch a little bit and have a little bit more length. 
And for you, I would talk to it, it's stroke volume. Like that's the simple long and dirty. The amount that that right or your left ventricle, sorry, can fill before it then takes that amount of blood and pushes it out into your body is your stroke volume. And you could increase your stroke volume by doing aerobic conditioning. And it's a really nice way to get that resting heart rate to come down. So just to give a little bit more guidelines, it's not like it's just like go do cardio and that's it. But if someone's resting heart rate is 60 or above, I will coach them to do cardiovascular exercise. So in general, that's between 60 and 80% of the max heart rate. You can look at different studies and find different things. That's kind of why I give a range. But if there were to be a little bit of a bias in that 60 to 80, if someone's untrained, meaning like they don't work out consistently, that probably should be more on the 60% max heart rate side. If someone is more trained, like you or I, that would be more on the 80%. But just get their body going in a way and it could be an elliptical it could be a bike it could be going for an easy jog whatever whatever they like to do you got to meet them where they're at i don't don't care but as long as they get their heart rate between 60 percent 80 percent of their max heart rate they do that one to three times a week for 45 to 90 minutes i know that their body is going to adapt in a way that's going to stretch out that heart just a little bit and give them a little bit more stroke volume so that then their heart rate can come down because if your body has the same demands and you're getting more blood out of each pump, you won't have to pump so often. It's so important. I think it's key that you mentioned or you explained that the heart is a muscle and I'm so sure you can explain further that it atrophies, it hypertrophies, and it can be strengthened. You say stretched out and you know, explaining that, oh, oh, okay. I never thought of it that way. A lot of people don't remember or don't know that the heart is a muscle. Right. And you give, you say, you mentioned, you give uh, options to the people, uh, to your clients or patients, what they can do for aerobic fitness. I think that's great. But how do you, how do you measure uh, aerobic fitness and how do you have your clients measure self, you know, keep their own metrics of how well they are doing with their home fitness program? Yeah. Since the, since the intervention that we were talking about was in response to their heart rate, that's the first thing that I look at to guide um then to kind of like siphon it down like if if it doesn't seem like things are lining up then you can do max aerobic like vo2 max testing which i mean ideally that's done in a gym strapped monitoring the gases but you could do a cooper's test you can do a 12 minute run test and it's reasonable i'm not saying it's perfect but it's reasonable um the other thing is and this you kind of touched on it so it's worth mentioning is like that's not the only thing because it is a muscle it can stretch it can also pump harder so you're talking about hypertrophy of two different kinds of the heart so eccentric hypertrophy is what i was just talking about before which is the ability for it to stretch more take in more blood push out more blood but the other side of that is that concentric hypertrophy is doing higher level stuff so that the the that muscle actually grows a little bit bigger and therefore can push out that blood faster than it could before so that's an important part of performance Thank you as for well. That down. Yeah, so that, that's kind of how that ends up 
living. So, so a, another way to perhaps get the person's resting heart rate would actually be to then maybe if the aerobic stuff where it's a 60 to 80% max heart rate isn't doing all that well, then maybe actually get them doing something a little bit harder. Um, some, some like going ham on something. So, you know, it's, it's fun, fun to play, fun to play with for myself and for others. Are you looking at any of the, uh, any other variables as far as um, stress symptoms? You said resting heart rate. Anything else? Just f- visually, a tightened muscles, change in posture, their breathing pattern, blood pressure, or uh, uh, signs of depression. Or are you giving out certain forms? And you you know you look at the data and like okay, they're they're showing that they have signs of um, disengagement or depression. Anything else you look at other than the resting heart rate, Stephen? When you're yeah, kind of like I'll, I'll answer that from a from a from two different approaches. So, the one is I try and get as many of my patients to buy an aura ring as possible. So the aura ring is, it, I bought it to monitor my HRV, which is heart rate variance, which is a reasonable indicator of how recovered your nervous system is. So it's a good metric to say I should go hard today, or you know what a lot of the stuff that I did had a big neural drain on me over the last couple of days. I didn't sleep all that well, so I shouldn't be pushing it. So that gives me heart rate, HRV, and respiratory rate at night, which is really helpful along with sleep data. Um, It eliminates that conversation a little bit. Again, like I feel like if someone, if I'm telling you don't resist being stressed, but then when you come to me, I'm immediately trying to do things that will make you be less stressed. I think that's almost a little bit um, hypocritical. So I like to go with just looking at health. I don't think it's a bad idea to, with balance, look to improve your health, and that can be part of it. So I like to hide behind their metrics a little bit more in order to get them to where they need to go without them necessarily feeling like the place that they're at is not okay in my eyes. Did, did that make sense? It did and, and did. And, and where can people find this aura ring? I find that a fascinating yeah. tool. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. So it's, uh, I believe it's O-U-O-U-O-U-R-A. It's definitely the aura ring. I don't know if they were like in enough to get like aura.com yeah, yeah. but um just look up aura ring we don't have a link on our website but we probably should um but yeah it's it's great the nba started using, i have had mine for a while i'm lucky um i had good friends who recommended good things um but yeah definitely check out the aura ring and whoop but like i i don't know enough about whoop um, it gives you similar data, but I, I know Aura Ring is solid. I know that their user experience is solid. Their explanations are solid. The data always seemed to line up for me. Um, there weren't times where I was like, I feel like garbage, and it's telling me that I'm great or vice versa. So, This is a part A, part B question r- r- related yeah. to stress. We live in New York. I live in Brooklyn. It can be stressful at time, times. Does this mean... The more, the more stressed I am, the more activity, or is this more of an individualized prescription? And the second part is when you are prescribing home programs, what's the balance between aerobic conditioning and strength training for the average person during the week? During the week? Yeah, so I think you touched on something that's really good is you need both active and passive modalities to help control stress. 
And that's where I think most people get very stuck in one. Um, it's good to be able to go out for a run and feel and have a change of relationship with the stress that you're experiencing. It's also really good to be able to meditate and for that to change the relationship with the stress that you're experiencing. I think it's good to be able to take a walk in nature and have that change the relationship that you're having with the stress that you're experiencing. And I think it's good to be able to just go punch something and be able to have that be changing as far I like, as your overall I like punching experience. things. I like punching yeah, things. Yeah, sure, me, me too. It, ha it makes me feel complete. Yeah. Well, I think it, in a way, I think it's a form of acknowledgement, no matter what <laughs> is going on. I, that's that you, how I that you exist or that the, that the thing you're punching actually exists or that you are a living entity. <laughs> what is it? What perhaps is it, uh, of, perhaps of, the, of the emotions that are inside of you at that moment is actually what I was, what I was saying. is like, the, listen, acknowledgement can come as I was talking about like my two M's, my two A's, my two R's, my P's and my C's. Like the acknowledgement is in there and acknowledgement can be a noting exercise going on in your mind as far as like, oh, that was a thought. Oh, that was a thought that was pretty neutral. Or, oh, that was a thought that was less pleasant or more pleasant. Like that, you can take that. And then you also, then maybe it's doing something where you actually like talk to yourself a little bit and you're just kind of like, hey, this is kind of been going around in my mind. That's why I think it is, whatever. You can write it down. You can do like a no send letter. That's a form of acknowledgement. You can talk to a friend about it. That's a form of acknowledgement. You go see a therapist about it. That's a form of acknowledgement. You can punch something. That's a form of acknowledgement. I just put it in that category. It's just like a way to acknowledge things. Sometimes I was just curious like, the way you phrased it. Is, it. is it when you're talking about punching, are you talking about the actual emotion or the manifestation of wanting to punch based upon that emotion? I'm talking about literally punching something, ah. not the person, but like when ah, I, let's say, back. let's say, yeah, exactly. Or, or Muay Thai, like if I'll go to like a Muay Thai class, like, and I tend not, I tend not to do this because for some reason that form of acknowledgement for whatever reason in me doesn't, doesn't seem to cut it all the time. Who knows? Um, or maybe seems to cut it less as I've gotten older. Who knows? But yeah, just acknowledging that, using that as a tool of acknowledgement can be helpful in certain situations. Yeah, punching, punching Punch. stuff. It's great. Yeah. So, so that's, that's as far as that, the, the part B is that the aerobic getting that resting heart rate to 60 to me is has to happen first um even, even if they're a highly highly trained athlete i think that it's the most important thing from a global health standpoint a global meaning like that person's health mm -hmm. it, it, it if someone's a mouth breather their resting heart rate's probably not going to be hovering like 60 or below um if they're super stressed the resting heart rate's probably not going to be like hovering 60 or below. If they're sleeping like absolute dog shit, the resting heart rate's probably not going to be hovering around 60 or below. So for me, using that before I would go into performance and be like, oh, actually, you know, like you're really bad with a pro agility test or your deadlift really isn't all that great. I con concurrently, I guess the best word is like, I'll be looking at building that aerobic base while I'm helping them move better and get tolerance to load yeah. and hope that the two come together at the right time to be able to do more performance stuff. Cause that aerobic system is so important with the other systems. Like it's, it's, it, 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 it needs to be looked at first, in my opinion. 
I definitely have had a lifelong imbalance between aerobic fitness and strength. And I think it was these, I think squat coach or squat guy on Instagram. And he's just brilliant with the way he, he, he uh, gives out um, information. And he said for the general population and also for his fit by his athletes, two days of aerobic or two days of sweat, two days of strengthening. And I really liked oh, that. I like just, that. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. I did too. Stephen is a, when, when folks are ready to be discharged or leaving, I don't believe that. I think once a client, always a client, you know what I'm saying as far as forming yeah. relationships, <laughs> but how do you educate them to monitor or for future maintenance, overtraining, undertraining and rest recovery and breaks and days off. So future maintenance, First, overtraining, undertraining, and how to know when to rest and recover. Yeah, so I feel like the, again, I'm not trying to like get myself off the hook with this stuff, but if I can persuade someone to get the aura ring, it -hmm. does a lot of that dirty work for me. Now, I'm not saying that just like with MRIs, where we're like, oh, now we know exactly what the problem is. That's it. We don't need to worry about it anymore. And we know that they have their place, their data. I don't want people to just become so metrics oriented that they don't even take a moment to scan themselves and say, you know what? I fucking don't feel very good right now. I don't think I should be doing this, even though every metric I have says that I should be able to put up my personal best. It just doesn't feel like that. So again, there has to be some sort of balance with that. But I do encourage people to check in um, and just listen to their bodies. I I think that a lot of times, and this is so with HRV, if you don't have the, um, if you don't have the ring, there are a series of questions that you can kind of ask yourself about how you're feeling and that you can use what's called a, uh, the space bar test, which is just hitting the space bar as many times as you can in a minute, two minutes, three minutes, depending on which one you're doing. And those can help guide you a little bit towards. Explain maybe- that. Explain the space bar yeah. test again. So space bar test is meant to help you see where your nervous system is at. If you are well rested, feeling great, all is well, you, sh- you, can- you should be able to hit the space bar faster than if you were really bad sleep, not feeling so hot, did a huge, huge lift session the day before or just before. Um, It's just, again, one barometer that you can possibly use to see where you're at that day. So I think empowering people to really take an unbiased look at where they're at, not where they want to be that day because they have the tennis lesson on Tuesdays, but where they actually are at that day is something I I try and almost shift that back to them. But I do encourage people to come and check in. I think everyone should see a physical therapist annually, no doubt. Just we discover new things. We learn new things. We look at things differently, like see see your PT every year, whether you think you need it or not, because you definitely need it. You go to your dentist, you go to your dentist once or twice a year, right? Yeah crazy it's crazy that people don't do that but yeah so so that kind of takes it that that would be how i would answer that question is like try and get them to look at their metrics but also come in consistently why would like what's better than spending an hour with me come on so much fun let me think let me get my scroll and my list out sorry (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well played. Well played. Uh, I was re- doing some research and I came across some placebo effect um, articles, and there is there are some there are, there's a lot of research out there about perceived versus real aerobic fitness on psychological health and physiological stress responses. Have you Ooh, talk uh, to me? No, yeah. you, you know the if you. They were use, we're using the word buy-in again and also showing yeah. love or compassion. Cool. That's half the treatment. Once you, you yeah. know, if you, I hate to say this, there are, lot, there are some physical therapists who just do jerky treatments and hot pack and massage and put the hands on people for five minutes. But some people think that's treatment and they will get better. And if the therapist says, look, you did this, you did that, then, you know, you, you've reached this milestone, they will get yeah. better. I do believe that and I don't think you should fake people out, but even if something changes and it's not their heart rate or blood pressure, something positive changes because of their at least effort in trying to engage in a new uh, aerobic activity, there's going to be some psychological benefit. Um, But how do you feel about um, just mentally the client knowing they're, they're aware that they are on the right track and that, that um, uh, leading to um, subsequent, health benefits yeah there's i call them the aha moments and you tend Mm. to have two aha moments in hopefully you have two aha moments in your first session with your patient but if it doesn't happen it's fine the first one you can see it in that person's eyes and sometimes it doesn't happen until the quote-unquote second aha moment would happen where they're like i'm really glad i made this appointment like this person definitely knows more than than the google searches that I was on about my issue. I'm glad that I'm here. And sometimes that's just listening, asking the right questions. And that moment where they're like, oh, I'm so glad you asked that because blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, I knew exactly where that was going, but I just wanted you to get there yourself. So that first moment where it's the aha, where they're like, I'm really glad that I made this appointment. That is where the trust starts to get built. And then the other one is if you can do any sort of, okay, in the beginning of most PT sessions, it's a test retest for provocation. It's, it's me having me hold my arm in a position and you push on it or the patient's holding their arm in position. I push on it and it hurts. And I did a test to provoke their symptoms. And we're like, yeah, I found it. That's awesome. And the patient's just like, great, I'm screwed. Doing some sort of test retest where it's a alleviation I think is a really nice aha moment for any physical therapist in their first session. And that's where I think the trust more gets solidified because they're like, I'm glad I'm here. And also I think this person has a plan somewhere in their head to get me where I want to go. And it validates your treatment, which makes you feel more confident. And it also validates their time spent with you and builds up, like you said, their confidence and their trust in you. So, well, exactly. Played, well said. Yeah. Steve, if someone is concerned about their fitness level, their aerobic fitness level, and who are very stressed the hell out, what's the first step that, that someone can take? Yeah. So I don't know which one of these three are the most common golden snowballs and that golden snowball is that and i believe the guy golden the person, snowball back yeah, in my neighborhood person. that was a snowball that someone peed in and then threw it at you. <laughs> yeah delicious <laughs> yeah no i know that's like the golden snowball. i'm not sure it's cosgrove is the last name 
Um, but yeah, it, it's the thing that gets the dominoes to fall. It's the thing that starts things moving in the right direction. And I think that for most people, it's exercise, mindfulness practice, and looking at their diet and digestion. Those are to me, because I, you know, we talked before about the eight foundations to help, but those are the three that seem to be for most people the um the the best golden snowballs but it's possible that the reason that those three are so important is because sleep is actually the one and all three of those would help with your sleep so i don't know but i do think that if they're doing everything right i think that it's worth talking to them about their digestion and i think a lot of clinicians don't know how to approach this. I would, I would encourage every clinician to go out and read my two, my two kind of guiders on this are Dr. Michael Ruscio, who wrote uh, healthy gut, healthy you and Chris Kresser, who's a really on point um, acupuncturist and functional medicine practitioner out in California. Like I, I think that, I think that as physical therapists are holistic health literacy is pretty low as physical therapists and and just to anyone who's listening who's not a physical therapist you can go they they make their this is the worst pun ever but i'm going to make it they make their information so easily digestible that anyone <laughs> can consume it you like that i'm so embarrassed Ooh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> <Ooh> this man <laughs> so yeah so those are the two things but to kind of take it back is like to talk about diet for a moment, I think that it's really important for people to understand how to take a walk through an elimination diet. And that's something that I think most people don't really understand. So Dr. Ruscio's protocol is what I go to for the first part. Um, I think that he walks through it the best and he takes people through something that's relatively simple it's you can go on our website and find it but walking through reducing your grains reducing processed foods reducing dairy and possibly legumes and check, checking that out and just kind of seeing like did that help did that not help if that didn't help throw it to the side there's no reason to look into it but the next thing that we kind of want to take a look at is fermentability and that's a huge thing that I, for some reason people don't talk all that much about um say fermentability as in yeast infections and mm. sure i mean it's 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 related to to SIBO like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth CFO fungal same thing but fungal um certain certain parasites that can also be living in you um but but in general let's just take like SIBO in general SIBO will end up having will thrive so if you have too many bad bacterias and not enough good bacterias your back the bacterias will thrive when they're fed fermentable foods so that's it we call they're called fodmaps so it's fermentable uh oleo mono uh, fermentable oleo dye mono and polysaccharides sorry the a screws me up so apologizing from (laughs) i'm impressed 
<laughs> no, yeah, it's it's FODMAP. It's a, they're FODMAPs, but it's like they stand for something, and it's nice to know what they stand for. So then he'll move you through either if you responded well to the more paleo-like diet, he'll move you through paleo and into a low FODMAP. So your paleo low FODMAP. But if the paleo didn't make you feel any better whatsoever, then ditch that. Just go standard low FODMAP. Like that simple removal and reintroduction then you know you start to feel better things are going great your poops look better your skin's looking better like things like that like like looking at the metrics and even your mood is better your brain fog is decreased once you get to a good spot with that then you can start to reintroduce things but but that actually kind of leads me to my second little sneaky hack into reducing the overall sympathetic tone or stress that's in your body you mind if i talk about that for a second not at all cool so, not at all so the, the first little sneaky hack was kind of getting your resting heart rate under 60. your second little sneaky hack is making sure that your diet isn't putting you in slight metabolic acidosis and metabolic acidosis is something that a lot of us learn in health uh, health about that, that's this like terrible shutting down of the body, but it can happen in small doses and it can happen in, in response to foods that are very common in the standard American diet. So for us, I think it's always the balance of, unfortunately, protein will make your body more acidic. Um, also salt will make your body more acidic. Tell me two things that are more common in the standard American diet than protein and salt, especially when we eat out. Um, so for me, switching that diet around is an important part to try and get your body to be less acidic. And, and when I say it like that, you're just kind of like, who cares if my body is acidic? The reason that it actually matters is if your body's more acidic, you're more prone to hyperventilate. You're going to try and blow off more CO2 more rapidly to get the pH closer to neutral. And just like we were talking about with the aerobic system, not feeling right unless the resting heart rate is around 60, your respiratory system, if it's not at a normal respiratory rate, will in the same way that you're heart beating too fast will trick your brain into thinking that you're in a stressful situation. Your respiratory rate being too high will trick your body into thinking that it's in a stressful situation when it may not be in a stressful situation. You just had a bad lunch. And that's one mm -hmm. of the things that I want people to think about a little bit more is that what you put into your body matters from a digestive standpoint, as we were talking about before and getting that right. But also that's almost on a macro level, but on a micro level, it is also really important to have you have the ability to not throw your pH off. And when I say it, your body won't let yourself really throw your pH off. It's just going to self-correct and self-correct yes. and self-correct. One of its easiest, quickest, and dirtiest self-corrections is slight hyperventilation. Slight hyperventilation makes you feel really stressed when maybe you're not really stressed. So that's my second little hack into reducing we'll say reducing your stress and, and and we're kind of in that talking about cortisol which is an indicator of stress a, a stress hormone 
And that kind of leads me to the quickest. And the third one is like this easy kind of throwaway, but cortisol and oxytocin are, are inversely related. If you can get your, people talk about getting their cortisol very low, which is great. But if you can get your oxytocin a little bit higher, that's a good thing too. And so that's that bonding chemical that hormone that happens in your body. So go out and try and have sex or cuddle with a puppy, whatever, you know, you feel that connection, whatever. Makes both you feel or that both one after the other or, or snuggle with a puppy that you haven't. What? Yeah, exactly. So whichever one, <laughs> not have are, sex, I mean, have sex, <laughs> then snuggle with a puppy. Not no, no bestiality on my show. Dang it. Preferably not at the same time, <laughs> but yeah, try those two things. And those are Steve's little sneaky tips to reducing stress. It's interesting that you talk about pH affecting breath. And I always, I, I guess I had a one-sided view. I'm always explaining, I was expressing to clients that your breath affects your pH, but I really never um, taught that it could be started or initiated the, uh, from the, you know, the acid um, alkaline balance. Yeah, it's reflexive. You, yeah. Yes. Do you believe in the pH strips? Cause I, I was using those for months and I could never get my pH over 6.5. It was very frustrating. Do you believe in I don't, using? No, I, not, not that I don't, I don't use them and I don't know enough about them to have an opinion. So I don't want to say anything. Okay. Okay. Uh, and Steven, with uh, Dr. Ruscio, does he, I'm not sure if it was the same, if this is the same book that I read, does he do things in stages, like try it for three weeks if things don't get better than try any, and he only changes one or two things at a time? And exactly, as far as that's you exactly okay. it's two, two to three weeks yep. per diet. And if there's no change, don't, you want to have a robust and diverse diet. If there's no mm -hmm. change, don't, like, do not, but like put all that back in because it didn't do anything so why why are we going to waste our time and our efforts and our energies and get into the unfortunate battle with food that shouldn't be that way and if it is that way it should be for a shortened period of time this is what's doing i'm collecting data it's an experiment and then i'm going to move on he simplifies the whole process because there's so much um so well crap out there um, oh. Stephen, I want to, what's the, what's the best way people can contact you for questions or if they want to schedule. So your website, email, Instagram, YouTube will all be in the show notes, but what's the best way that people can partake of your extensive knowledge? Yeah, I think, I think that signing up for our email list. So going to our website, ihealthsciences.com and signing up for our, um, for our newsletter, which goes out every week, which is announcing who's going to be on. I and Richard will be lovely to join me in the next couple of weeks. We'll be on our <laughs> Fireside Five podcast, webcast. We like to do a little interactive. So we open it up. We have a forum. Everyone knows when we're meeting and people can dial in and actually ask the expert questions. So Richard, when you're on, your people are going to be there being able to ask you questions. And we like that format. It's really fun and tends to make for a very, very, um, very robust content that doesn't miss out on any pieces because the people that are there listening are our safeguard and checks and balances for that. So definitely go to the website, scroll down to the bottom of the first homepage, sign up easy. The other is just follow us on Instagram. That's our kind of like preferred social media outlet um, at iHealthSciences and that we are constantly 
giving tons of information um, about our eight foundations of health, our eight foundations of movement and how to fix them, eight foundations of exercise and our performance. So yeah, good. feel free. And then, yeah, you can always like just message us through those or write, ideally just write a comment on any of the questions or any of the posts. It always helps with social engagement. So, Mr. Steven, right on. This is a really good content uh, podcast. I'm a little bit nervous about being on your podcast. People are going to be sending in or asking questions because I really <laughs> only have information about pop culture, um, old movies, and uh, yeah, and Marvel comic books. So uh, I'll, pro- I'll probably get stumped a few times. So hopefully you're editing out the podcast, and I'll just go on the <laughs> internet and come back with the right question. Seriously, like, I all questions, Arrested <laughs> Development. Only Arrested Development. I'm going to screen all the colors. (laughs) Stephen, thank you for the great information Uh, and for being an inspiring physical therapist, for being a valuable physical therapist. We need more like you, and I appreciate your wisdom and time, man. So peace, man. I appreciate you, man. Likewise, man. Thank you for being a beautiful human being, and thank you for having me on. You're welcome. You're welcome. Peace. And thank you for listening to our Move Evolution Heal Move Evolve podcast. Did you like this episode? Then please help us grow, rate, and review us. And if you would like more great life fitness content, check us out at moveevolution.com. Heal, move, evolve.